Hear these words from Mark chapter 10. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear a false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Adair and I met in March of 2020. We dated nine months. We got engaged. We start, I started working at Noonan, and then by June of 2021, we got married. And some of you joined us online for the wedding. It was a crazy time, and we refer to that period of time in our lives as the dumb and in love period of time. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Adair and I did not have a single fight while we were dating. But as soon as we got back from the honeymoon, <laughs> all bets were off. <laughs> and I will remember our first fight as long as I live because it occurred in a Costco. Um, I've heard it said that in every couple there is a spender and a saver. I don't know if that's true for every couple, but that is true for us. And unfortunately, we didn't know who was who <laughs> until we walked into the Cobb Parkway uh, Costco. Now we know. <laughs> you see, Adair goes into a Costco. She's very intentional. She goes in for a few items. And I go into a Costco just for the sheer possibilities. Um, Adair is the saver and I'm the spender. And in a Costco, if you don't keep me on a tight leash, things are going to get a little dicey for your budget, just FYI. Because Costco is a beautiful and magical place filled with all things you could ever want in bulk. If you've not been, you can buy TVs and peanut butter, both in four packs. They have Christmas decorations in July. They have 100 ibuprofen tablets for like $3. And they have hot dogs and a Coke for $1.50. That is a cheap date. That is a good situation. It's like Disney World, but you can afford it. And so I began putting things in the cart that day that Adair did not perceive that we needed. And the clash that followed was immense and unexpected. And because it was unexpected, because we had not previously had a conversation about money or spending or saving and the joys and concerns of Costco, the fight grew to the point where I don't think we spoke to each other throughout the rest of that Costco visit. Uh, we just nodded occasionally. Uh, and I knew that I was no longer putting things in the cart. She was. Um, 
and now, actually, whenever we have a fight or a disagreement, we will say to each other, well, at least that wasn't the Costco fight. <laughs> that, is, that is our standard of success now. And honestly, I know this sounds silly, but we have to have a conversation before we go into Costco now. <laughs> we have to, like, prepare ourselves. And every time we walk into that beloved and triggering monument to capitalism, we know that we have <laughs> to do better than that first time. As silly as that sounds, every time we walk into a Costco, we know that we have an opportunity to rewrite the story that occurred on that first trip. (laughs) This is it. This is the time we'll rewrite that journey. Maybe you have a story like that. and Maybe it's not a fight with a spouse. It could be a disagreement with anybody, maybe a neighbor or a friend at the lunch table or or a family member at a recent event or an annual get-together. Whatever it is, there was probably a fight in your past that occurred, and you know that you're going to have to face that person at some point. The subject matter will come up tomorrow or next week or next year, and you've got to deal with it again. And it could be that you do the same exact thing that you did previously. You react the same way, or it could be that at the next occurrence, it's an opportunity to do something different, to change the course of the future just a little bit, to rewrite the story that occurred previously. Scripture reminds me that my life is not that different from other people's lives. I'm as human as the rest of the characters in Scripture. I have issues with jealousy and envy. I have issues with sharing forgiveness and grace with others. Our stories are human stories. And often when I read Scripture, I think to myself, hey, I'm not alone. And When I read scripture, I think, how might God be trying to rewrite this story through me today? That's how I feel about the story that Connor just read. It's a story you probably know. It's a story of failure, of a guy just missing the mark and giving up. But hearing it this morning makes me wonder, how might God be trying to rewrite this story through me today and maybe through you today? The story begins with a rich young man, that's tradition says it's a rich young man, he approaches Jesus right as Jesus, scripture says he's setting out on a journey, he comes up to Jesus right as he's about to leave town, right as Jesus has gotten the bag packed, the car's ready, and then he drops this theological bomb on Jesus, which is not that different from some of you have done to me occasionally right before the service. This rich young guy walks up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life. Oh man, I've never lost one so early. Um, A rich young guy walks up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus initially responds with something interesting. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Seems like Jesus is trying to get this man to ponder the idea of goodness. Perhaps Jesus knows that this young man thinks pretty highly of himself. I think that's kind of the story of all of us. Most of us probably think ourselves better than we are. Most of us probably believe we are right and good more often than not. There has no doubt been a time in your life, there's definitely been a time in my life when I've actually thought to myself, I'm I'm actually not that bad. (laughs) I'm pretty good. I don't have to worry about sin and all that stuff. I imagine that's what this young man thinks of himself. And here Jesus is questioning the idea, good, no one is good but God. Jesus tells the young man to follow the commandments of God. And the young man says, I've kept them all since I was a kid. He says to Jesus, I was was raised in Sunday school. I went to youth group. 
I went on mission trips. I was an acolyte. I was in youth choir. And now I serve on some committees. I've even helped out in the kitchen on Wednesday nights every once in a while. Everybody at the synagogue says I'm committed to this thing. I imagine, I imagine a crowd of townspeople surrounding him, all the synagogue folks who have had a hand in raising this kid. They know who he is. They know what he's done. They know they've done a good job with him, and they can vouch for him. This kid, Jesus, this kid's got it. He's good. And that's when Mark tells us that Jesus looks him in the eye. And the passage says, he loved him. He looks him in the eye and he loves him. Before Jesus continues, he has a moment of compassion for him. Why? Why would Jesus have compassion on this kid who's done most things right? Who has everything he needs? This kid doesn't need compassion. I think Jesus knows that this young man is actually not really fully committed to the mission. I think Jesus knows that this kid does not have everything he needs. I think Jesus has a moment of mercy for the kid because in a few moments, he's going to show everyone that this kid is nowhere near prepared for the eternal life that he seeks. So Jesus feels for him, but still, Jesus looks him in the eye, prepared to offer him a way forward to a deeper relationship with God. And Jesus says, there's one, there's one thing left. And it's going to be a little bit of a sacrifice. After all, if you want to make room for God, you're going to have to clear out some space. So Jesus says, I know you have a lot. You've done well for yourself. You have money and land and property and real estate. You really want to know how to get to that eternal life you want so badly? Well, then Go and sell everything you own and give it away. Give it to the poor. You will, then have, you will then have stored up for yourself treasures in heaven. And after you've done that, there will be nothing tying you down. You will be more free than you've ever been, so come and follow me. And I can just imagine the crowd from the synagogue, they know exactly what this kid is going to do. He's received a challenge, and he'll, he'll undoubtedly accept it. After all, they raised him. Surely he will do exactly as Jesus has requested. He has no problem following the rules and learning and doing what's right and sacrificing much. But the crowd is disappointed. Because the next thing you know, the kid has his head down. He's walking away. He doesn't even respond to Jesus. How can this be? He's done so much. But there he goes because he knows that he cannot give up too much. <laughs> like a bad experience at Costco, this guy's done nothing else to say. He goes silent. <laughs> Conversation is done and he becomes a punchline in a story about how hard it is for rich people to reach eternal life. Whew. What a way to go. But I wonder what might have happened if this kid had followed what might have happened if this guy hadn't been so married to his money, to his stuff? What could God have done with this promising young man with so much promise, purpose, if he hadn't been afraid of sacrifice? If he hadn't dropped everything, sold it all and followed Jesus? What if he had done that? If he had been more loyal to God than to money and commerce and things? If he had truly been committed to the way and to trusting God more than anything else? Last week, Connor said that we are all in this stream 
and there's a split coming up. And God is calling us one way, but the current of culture is pulling hard toward the other, toward materialism, toward wealth, toward earthly treasure. And what our scripture tells me today is that this current has been pulling hard at the hearts of humanity for a long, long time. And I really think that that current, that desire to hold on to our stuff, to our money, to our belongings, to our items is indicative of something deeper. We hold on to those things so hard because I think in our hearts we fear sacrifice and we don't actually trust that God has got this. I think that's what really is going on in that young man. He can't sacrifice his security blanket because he trusts that more than he trusts God. And that current pulls the young man. It pulls, it pulls me too. I often find myself in the same spot as that kid. I want to follow after Jesus. I want to aim my life at the narrow way. And just when Jesus looks at me in the eye and asks something of me, I suddenly kind of look busy <laughs> and say, no thanks, I'm, I'm good actually. I've got some things to do. I'd rather, I got, I got to deal with some things. I'd rather have my money, my stuff my own sense of security, then drop it all and trust you. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But there have been plenty of times where Jesus has looked at me, where he's loved me, and offered me a better way, and I've said no, because I'd rather not have to sacrifice anything, and because I trust my way rather than God's way. Author Kathleen Norris talks about a time when she was asked to lead this Sunday school class on the Antichrist. By the way, none of you have asked me to do that, so thank you. She says she was so nervous and was trying to figure out how to explain, so she asked her pastor, how do I explain the Antichrist? And this is what he said, each one of us acts as an Antichrist whenever we hear the gospel and we do not do it whenever we hear the call to follow and we go the opposite way. And friends, I confess to you today, I've done that. I have gone the opposite direction of the call too many times. But do you know what the great part about a God of grace is? You know what's great about a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances? Every day, you and I are given the opportunity to rewrite that story. Every day, God gives us the opportunity to ponder the question, what is God calling me to sacrifice in my life? Where does my loyalty lie? God or money, Jesus or stuff, the world's way or the way? Every day, friends, God gives us a chance to rewrite that rich young man's answer, that answer that I am so familiar with, and maybe you are too. Every day, God gives us the chance to allow our lives to respond in a new way, in a different way, in a better way, in the way. Thomas Chisholm was a man born in 1866, and he didn't have a formal education, but he became a teacher at 16. And he also took to writing for his local paper. And he came to know Jesus when he was somewhere in his mid to late 20s, and he suddenly felt this call to ministry. So he moved his family to a new city to take up an editor position in another newspaper and to become a Methodist minister. But his health started failing him. He had, to, he had to quit ministry and his job. He looked for work where he could find it, and he moved his wife and kids to a new city, and he started to try and recover. 
He and his family were facing financial hardship in the midst of it all, and there was a certain fear that they may not be able to make it. I don't know if you've ever been there in a place wondering where the next check might come from, wondering how you'll be able to turn one meal into two or three. Thomas was there. And one morning he found himself reading Lamentations, as you do when things aren't going well. And he fell across a verse in chapter 3 that said this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in that dark moment, Thomas felt inspired. He scribbled down a poem and sent it off to a friend who just happened to be a publisher. The publisher connected with a composer, and they quickly put that poem to a melody, and it wasn't long before the poem became a popular hymn in the United States and across the world. We sang it last week. Throughout the world, people started singing Thomas's words. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We still sing that song. The words of a man who in the midst of hardship, he couldn't put his trust and his faith in money or in things or in material or in what he could do for himself. He had to put his trust in another. Thomas saw an ending ahead, one that lacked hope and trust, and he literally rewrote it. He rewrote his ending and he shared it with us. And it's an ending that doesn't leave us with a trust in ourselves and a dependence on ourselves, on our security blankets. It ends in a belief that all we have is God's and God has us in his mighty and gracious hand. So why wouldn't we sacrifice as much as we could to get as close as we can to eternal life? And what is eternal life? John 17, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, it's a relationship, and every relationship has give and take. Every relationship has gain and sacrifice. Walter Knight said it best, Sacrifice isn't so much us giving to God, it is us taking our hands off of what God already has. And because we are all part of the body of Christ, we're all part of that sacrifice, that eternal gain. And the beauty of the body occurs in shared sacrifice. We all have a gift to share, a role to play in the rewriting of the story and the repurposing of this world. No gift is too small or too large. Remember, a boy gave up his lunch, two fish and five loaves. A woman gave a jar of perfume. A widow gave two copper coins Barnabas gave some real estate. Dorcas gave her needlework. Lydia gave her hospitality. Cornelius gave his alms. All of them were called to follow and to sacrifice, and they did. And Jesus rewrote their stories. 
John Wesley said that in seeking happiness from riches, you are only striving to drink out of empty cups. And he was convinced that our story doesn't have to end that way. He knew of someone who could fill our cups to the point of overflowing. Yeah, sometimes we may be in the same spot as that rich young man, but we always have an opportunity to rewrite that story for our lives. We don't have to have that same ending. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about Wesley's three steps, his method for dealing with money. I don't know if you you know that, but Wesley had a method for a lot of things. That's why they called him a Methodist. Anybody? But today, know this. Each day we have on this earth is a day to rewrite old stories of the past. How you choose to rewrite those stories, whether we're dealing with money or relationships or pain or brokenness, however you do it, it could lead you down the path of the rich young man or it could lead you to following Jesus in a deeper and more trusting way. And friends, that path indeed carries with it some sacrifice, But the sacrifice and the gain that comes with it lead most certainly to a strength for today and I believe a bright hope for tomorrow. Let us pray. Gracious God, this morning I'm thankful for your sacrifice, for what you have done for us, the pathway that you have opened up for your people. God, I confess this morning that oftentimes I feel I'm traveling the way of that rich young man, thinking I've got it all together. And Jesus, when you face me, when you look me in the eye and ask a little bit more of me, I have a tendency to turn the other way, head down, disappointed. God, give us strength. Give us grace to be able to follow your call, to be able to look you back in your eye and follow in your path. You have called us to a narrow way, and it is not easy, but it is good. So lead us, O God, in that way. We pray this in your name. Amen.